Hi, I'm Michael, and this is Beyond the Screenplay. Today, we are talking about Terminator 2 Judgment Day, the 1991 film directed by James Cameron, written by James Cameron and William Wisher. I'm joined by the Lessons from the Screenplay team, writer Trisha Arand. Hello, everyone. Writer Brian Bittner. <laughs> and editor Alex Calleros. <laughs> Hello. So we're talking about Terminator 2, but I literally just saw the first Terminator uh, like whoa like last night um, for the first time ever yeah i don't know why this continues to shock me it really shouldn't it's from the 80s too <laughs> yeah. like you should be prepared yeah, for it's this, from the sure. 80s tt was in the 90s so it passed the michael test but like, yeah. so barely like the early 90s were basically the 80s there was something just better about them i don't know but oh my god so it was just it was really interesting seeing it that way and and i had heard so much about the original terminator as you do uh and mostly I had heard about it via like like old TV shows I would watch that were about like the visual effects and like this mm -hmm. revolutionary thing that turned it. So I felt like I'd seen most of it, but I also was kind of bracing myself for it not being very good and not holding up very well. So that's why I was trying to avoid it for a long time. And we'll get to that later. Oh, but boy. it's such an uh yeah, just an interesting relationship, like looking at, you know, these movies and Alien and Aliens as sequels, the things that you can spot that are the same and are influenced by the other things, but how radically different they are. And I think the thing I appreciated the most now having seen the original Terminator start to finish was how different Sarah Connor is yeah. in Terminator 2. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's seven years later. So that is, I think, a big part of it. Like these days they would crowd the sequel, right. for, you know, as soon as they possibly could right in afterward. And this one, they were like, That's seven years later and the technology obviously changed a lot. Oh my god, the visual effects are night and day. It's crazy. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I want to throw it over to Brian to tell us a little bit more about the video. Terminator 2 is interesting because it was the second half of James Cameron's original story, you know, so he was basically like, this thing happens, da da da, and then this other guy shows up later, and blah blah blah, and then once he realized for budgetary reasons to just make the Terminator what it was, then when he moved on to a sequel, he said, now we can take this, what maybe would have been 30 minutes of his original idea and turn it into a two and a half hour, you know, blockbuster. And then I think it was Linda Hamilton who actually said, like, I think that we should actually look at how Sarah Connor would feel. Um, I love that. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's something you don't get a lot in movies and shows and stuff is what is the real actual result of someone going through whatever they go through I mean, same with aliens you know it's like it's not just like well here we go again it's like i don't you don't understand what i had to go through and especially sarah connor like what i know that of course nobody in the world right. like is ever gonna believe and then you throw her son into the mix and there's just such an interesting series of of things going on in her brain you know and then it's like they did a great job i think of just saying like let's let's kind of meditate on this character who has basically knows the future and is, is you know the cassandra complex basically you know and, and can't stop it and then you know comes face to face with the the thing that you know tried yeah. to kill her all those years ago and just like what a scene you know when she first sees him oh just yeah look it's on so her. Well, i was gonna say that scene has such a different meaning if you see the movies out of order because mm. if, of you, if you see t2 first there's there's so much less in that moment right but when you see the first terminator you realize the whole time she's been waiting for like arnold basically to come back and that is what she's most afraid of and that moment has so much weight in t2 it's amazing and then the, and they the, save it for so late in the movie yes, too yes 
really smart. It's almost like, like saving the like T Rex in Jurassic Park. Yeah. You know? it's like it's like waiting for that big reveal, and then it just goes crazy. You well, know? it's also interesting because by that point, we kind of trust him. Right. Because we have right. that whole standoff in the hallway where we see him. And then, like, obviously, that an awesome truck motorcycle chase. And we trust him at that point. And it was like, I actually was rewatching it. And I was like, she still doesn't know. She's she still doesn't know. Mm-hmm. It, it is so late. I mean, I would be curious to even know the minute count, but I assume it's somewhere around like minute 40. Somewhere like yeah. that. Yeah. Because yeah. I, yeah. I think yeah. it's I think it's minute 30 where you as the audience learn mm. which guy is which in terms of what side they're on. Right. Because as we were, we were saying, it's impossible to watch Alien without knowing that Sigourney Reaver is going to be the survivor. So right. we can't know what the experience was to just watch that movie fresh. In the same way, it's like you don't watch Terminator 2 without knowing that Arnold's the good guy in the movie. But if you think about, you're, you see the Terminator in 84 and then you see T2... There's 30 minutes of this guy showed up. He's the bad guy from the first movie. This other guy showed up. He's in a cop uniform. You know, they're both like hurting people to get clothes and, you know, motorcycles and whatever. And um, and then it's not until that moment where John Connor is running between the two and then he runs into the hall. Arnold pulls out the shotgun, so drops some roses, points it at him, right? Yeah. yeah, and points it at him, and then says, "Get down!" And that's the moment where you realize, "Oh my gosh, he's actually protecting him," oh, you know. And it's like, yeah, so good. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a good moment. It was interesting watching the first Terminator, and they kind of do that in that movie also, where there's mm. we know there's two people that have come back, and they're exactly. both kind of looking for mm. Sarah Connor, and she spots oh, Kyle it, it's, Reese in, it's in the club in yeah. Yeah. Tech, tech, tech noir <laughs> yeah <laughs> right right because Kyle's almost like like right framed like this stalker or something he's just right. kind of like there like looking at her and she's like what is this guy yeah well and yeah it's that same moment of like yeah. Arnold comes in and mm. Kyle Reese saves her from it, it is actually funny for how different those two movies are there are a lot of similar beats oh, oh a yeah. lot of callbacks yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of lines that are in the first Terminator that we now think of as associated with T2, but they really mm-hmm. are callbacks to the first movie mm-hmm. or somebody else is saying it, you know. It's for that reason so amazing that T2 manages to pull off that switch. Like you would think the audience would be savvy to it, right? Where we're like, okay, we saw this, but we know now that Reese was a good guy and whatever. But managing to pull off that sort of sleight of hand where you really do think, Arnold is the bad guy again. It works super well. Robert Patrick is the smaller, more clean cut sort of. They they do that whole scene in the biker bar, which they tr- trouble to set up that he's still a machine, right? Mm. And he still doesn't have human empathy and he's right. not a good guy. You're seeing Arnold's POV, but you're not seeing the T-1000. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. But he's doesn't behave like a good guy in that biker bar, right? Right. So they go to all that trouble to bait and switch you Mm. on Arnold. And even after they do that, you still are dying to know what Sarah Connor is going to do when she sees him. Right. And so they manage to draw that suspense all the way out until the midpoint of the movie, basically. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. One of the cut scenes, too, is they they shut down uh, Arnold and to reset him and then she wants to take his microchip and just smash it she wants to destroy it even after Ooh. he's like saved them and everything there's mm-hmm. this moment oh because they they sort of unlock him to be make him be able to learn from John oh i remember there. this from the extended yeah. cut oh, I never yeah saw that. interesting um, yeah i kind of want to like talk about extended cuts and stuff we'll do that in a little bit yeah um but uh 
it's just really interesting because that that is her moment and and then john says like look if i'm supposed to be this great leader why don't you listen to my leadership for a second and you know it's like oh, it's snap. a really cool scene yeah i, but I remember that 10 year old right yeah. <laughs> but especially because i feel like she for as for as much as she's like get away from that thing it wants to kill us like she still kind of comes around pretty quickly and that's yeah. what's nice about that scene in the extended cut is that even after they're like in a car together and everything's good and he's not trying to kill her like as soon as she has a chance she's like okay i'm gonna do this and almost right, like very matter of factly and then john connor does his like you know squeaky voice you know <laughs> no I mean, that is one thing about T2 that was pretty funny watching it again is, is John Cotter. Yeah. Yeah. Edward like a, Furlong. Like, Jurassic Park Velociraptor. Yeah. Is that what I think of every time? <laughs> There's just like, it's such like a 90s, like, such a 90s idea of what a cool kid is. Oh, yeah. It's, it's all that like, like an edgy style. kid. Yeah. yeah. We're like, yeah. we're like riding our little motorcycle with our like boom box on our yeah. shoulders and like hacking an ATM. Like, yeah. easy money. Yeah. You know, all this stuff. It's <laughs> get just, wasted, dipwad yeah. or whatever. <laughs> just that. Like, I, oh, my it's God. It's just so, it's like almost painfully early 90s. You know what it really reminds me of actually is like the bad kid influence or like the opening sequence of Free Willy. <laughs> I don't even remember that. You'll have to remind me of yeah. what the opening sequence of Free Willy is like. <laughs> well, it's so the whole idea of Free Willy is that he's like a foster kid from the wrong side of the tracks and they are mm. like getting into trouble and they, I don't think they have motorcycles, but they're basically like stealing stuff, whatever they can take and blah, blah, blah. And so I, I feel like it had to be that John Connor's character in this story directly influenced because Free Willy, I want to say is 92, maybe 93. Um, yeah. It has to be that where it's like, what if John Connor had to then save a whale? I, that's See, the premise I, of Free I Willy. I just want the Terminator to be a whale. <laughs> I feel like, like an underwater yeah. Terminator film could be but interesting. Like, so it's covered in blubber instead of human. And then the, the T-1000 is like a shark. And so it's the whale versus the shark. This James Cameron, like, call us. <laughs> this is a really amazing pitch, Michael. <laughs> I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm just saying there was an image of a bad kid right, in the right. early 90s. Yeah. And yeah. I actually feel like a lot of that, which carried over into other films, was constructed based on this sort of image of John Connor from 1991, where... He has longer hair and he wears these baggy clothes and he, you know, again, you're stealing things and whatever. It, it, I think it's ultimately a really smart choice because, you know, we might scoff at it now as being ludicrous or whatever. Like, that's not what a bad, well, quote unquote, it's, it's, bad it's kid be, is. It's become a cliche, but it, it has become a time. cliche, but yeah. also it makes him scrappy, resourceful, able to cope in a way, in the same way that the change wrought in Sarah Connor after the first movie makes her capable. Right, because right. that's the only way T2 works, is if both of them are somewhat capable. I think, it, I mean, I like it. When you yeah. see him speeding away from his foster family, where he's just like, bye, and leaves. Now and then... my mom, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to listen to GNR drive around with Bobby Budnick from Salute Your Shorts. I mean, we can see that he's... <laughs> like, trouble but he, we buy that he might be the leader of the human resistance if someone would just give him some guidance right, which is right. the whole premise of this movie yeah i mean it really it, it all makes sense from a story perspective exactly and, and, yeah it's just it's just the funny early 90s like sheen on it all and yeah the, and definitely. The, and the delivery you know and that was moi you looking at moi uh, moi is all that, hard yeah, yeah it is. and i feel like as like a because i was like six or seven when it came out i feel like i definitely 
adopted some of that. So joking around with friends, you know, when I'm really young, I think we talked like him sometimes because we saw these movies. And so it's wow, like, yeah, maybe it's really sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I still remember one of my favorite, like early nineties thing is, um, Gogurt. Which oh was, my, that's I not remember... early nineties, dude. That's like late. I'm, I'm going to go mid to late nineties. I'm going to go 96. On that's a, that's a good, okay. Gogurt. good stretch of the nineties. Okay. Yeah. But this is the most like early nineties commercial or like general nineties commercial, but, uh, it's, a kid eating yogurt with a spoon and then this cool kid rides up on a <laughs> right. scooter or something like that he's got a helmet and he goes yo lose the spoon yeah <laughs> i like, do remember that like, commercial you know those idiots eating <laughs> yogurt with a spoon like yeah. screw that we got gogurt you just one hand you're done and it's like the, <laughs> that was just like the era of that sort of like let me show you what cool is man yeah well it, there, there was a weird 90s version of a cool kid and mm -hmm. yeah t2 was like the epitome i of think that. so yeah. yeah and they were all you know what 35 year old screenwriters writing these like right. yeah. exactly <laughs> but what or whatever like i didn't know anybody who acted that way at all right yeah yeah i'm going to talk about aliens briefly here because i feel like the way i feel about his friend the guy from salute your shorts who that's what i think of every time i see him is that i'm watching salute your shorts and i hate him in that also mm, the ginger but yeah i feel like the space marines would be like if the entire movie was starring the red-headed kid right that's how I, that's wow anyway, that's he grew up I'm. to be hudson for me right. <laughs> <laughs> Very but he's maybe. so well cast to be that character right it's mm -hmm. kind of ridiculous mm -hmm. and I, I do like there is a moment where i really like his acting where he says to the t-1000 like oh i haven't seen him and then he turns and there's just look on his face of like oh crap you know and it's yeah. like a really that, that like, actually is a genuinely good moment yeah, mm -hmm. in, in the galleria yeah where nikki cox gives him directions yeah <laughs> I love how Brian knows all the trivia. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I love those. I call them pre-cameos, like Elijah Wood and Back to the Future 2. Yeah. You know, right? Things like yeah. that. Like the cameos, because there's a reason they only had one line in the movie, because they were nobody yet. Not because they were so busy, they could only show up for an hour. <laughs> right. I mean, I was going to say, in general, it was interesting thinking back to our Aliens discussion. Michael, for you, the first Alien was such a masterpiece of a mm. certain, you know, caliber. And Aliens felt almost maybe... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but kind of cheap in some ways compared to that. Or like it was because it was different. It was treating the subject matter with almost less reverence, maybe in your mind. Mm. It didn't. But it, it's like the opposite for me with the Terminator series where T2 seems like so much more epic and reverent of this world and just so well thought out and so like masterfully executed where the Terminator watching it again, it almost felt like an indie movie. The way it's constructed, it doesn't feel as much of a masterpiece to me as, right. it's like as a, T2 does. It's like, this is the proof of concept now that we've done right. this and we've set up this world. Now we can move into the it, real it, movie. It feels like, to me, Terminator 2 feels like the actual movie he wanted to make. And mm -hmm. Terminator is like the low budget, yeah, like you said, proof of concept. Right. For sure. Yeah. Because I, I feel like... No, if I all the way agree. But go ahead, Michael. Well, I, I, I think because they have so many similar beats like it mm. is a very similar construction mm -hmm. of the movie but the the first terminator like you were saying it feels like a little sloppy a little less refined like you know i get the sense that it was the person making it was doing it knowing that it like would probably be good but it didn't have the like confidence behind it and the production of the original had hurdles that you know higher budget sequel didn't uh, but I think that's that's what was for me striking about it was seeing the original Terminator and seeing the like seeds of things that then felt like they were matured and executed like to perfection and with confidence in Terminator 2. I mean, again, 
that's the technology. And, and to James Cameron's credit, part of the reason he cut a bunch of that stuff out of the Terminator because it was a part of his original concept was because he understood that the technology wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a, sort of a common theme we see sometimes across different filmmakers where they're ambitious about something. I'm thinking about like Steven Spielberg and AI. Like, you know, he was developing AI with uh, Stanley Kubrick and, and it was Kubrick that was like, we don't have the technology for this yet. And so they waited another decade. Mm-hmm. Just like put a movie on the shelf until the technology catches up to what you see, which a what a luxury and a dream mm. to like <laughs> right. be able to shelve a movie for a decade and still be able to come back and make it but also respect you know you're you're not so shackled by the urgency of making a movie at a certain point which again you have to be a, a filmmaker of a certain caliber but what confidence to wait to make something until you think that you can make it the way that you really want to and the way that it really deserves to be I mean, that's exactly what George Lucas said he was doing with the Phantom yeah, Menace. That's yeah. what I was so going to say. He was, he was waiting until <laughs> he, could, example. Yeah, he could make the Gungans, you know, <laughs> photorealistic. Yeah. Well, it, it is interesting, though, because I think technology does. It's watching the Terminator again, thinking about all these things. Like you're saying, Tristan, the, the technology CGI Terminator 2, like, was such a landmark moment for that. I mean, but, we do have it to thank. For Jurassic Park. Well, yeah. even in, in the Jurassic Park making of, exactly. they, they always show like that shot with him walking out of the fire mm-hmm. as like the first proof of concept of, oh, the CG thing can really work. Yeah. yeah. And that when I was watching Terminator last night, that that was one of the things that felt like it was holding the movie back where it would just cut mm. to like animatronic Terminator that like, like it felt like someone making a movie at the end of an era that like he wanted more but it wasn't there. And so it was just trying to do the best he could, but it wasn't. Like when it cuts to like stop, stop motion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like you can tell the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say you do get that in alien also. Well, you have, there's that one shot where the aliens kind of just gliding across the yeah, floor. You have that yeah. shot, which is like dude in a suit looks like he wants a hug. And then you have, um, <laughs> when baby alien comes out of, uh, comes out of John hurt with like his like silver teeth. And it's just like, okay, that's just like a thing on a string. But the one that's the most noticeable and it's not bad. It's just noticeable is you know uh ripley like messing around with this plastic head and then it cuts to ian hall yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's the the most painful yeah. Reading or whatever yeah. it's yeah. yeah well i to make your argument also at the end of alien when the alien's just like spinning outside the spaceship mm. i feel like that's the it's hardest for pretty. me it mm. just like looks so goofy and it's mm. just like an like, we're, we should not see that much of the alien. It's better when it's in shadow. I will say, though, up until that point, all the models look amazing. Mm, like, right. all the models of the spaceships floating around in space look so yeah. good. Yeah. So, I mean, and this is something we know, but just this idea that because we have new technology doesn't necessarily mean every single part of the old technology is ineffective and we should trash it. Right. Well, I mean, Lord of the Rings, they had exactly. they had CG technology, but they built, you know, bigatures, they called them, you know, mm-hmm. the big miniatures mm-hmm. and you know, all the major cities in Helm's Deep and all these things were bigatures with CG added onto them. And that combination does have a different feeling than just an entirely CG image. I will uh come back to that when we talk about what we're watching. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this idea is that we interact we the audience but also the actors 
interact with things that are really there differently than with things that are not. And so if you can give them even a little bit of something that is actually there, and it might look like a really bad Arnold mask, but <laughs> if you can give them a little bit of something that's actually there, you will get a different performance. You know, even the finest actors that we have, I mean... I wasn't going to bring up any of the Jurassic Worlds. I'm just saying <laughs> they're not interacting with any real dinosaurs yeah. and they are not bad actors, but you can there feel is a difference you for can. sure. What's kind of interesting is that I think there's almost like different like kinds of acting that's required now. Interesting. Where like there isn't Ooh. just like an actor, but like, you know, people that work in video games, they do a lot of motion capture where mm -hmm. there isn't anything there really. And it's like they have to be able to generate these performances almost just like as if they were in a voiceover booth doing it by themselves, but it has to feel like they're actually interacting with people and in this environment, but it's not there. Or and The then, Last of Us, where like they, you put the actors in mocap and the two of them are just like having these very intimate scenes with each other in real life. And then that they just translate that to to, to CG, yeah. basically. Which I mean, is really they're, right. they're interacting with each other, but they're mm -hmm. just not in the actual space of the video game, obviously. Right. Yeah. They're on a you know, blue yeah, yeah. Right. dotted. Thing. And that's like, you know, uh, what's his name? Andy Serkis, obviously, mm -hmm. like who writes like a whole new kind of performance. That exactly. He created basically. And you, you watch Benedict Cumberbatch doing the dragon from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> Those, movies. <laughs> Those movies that aren't the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So frequent listeners to the show will know the team likes to tease me about a lot of things. And one of them is how I don't watch enough movies. A big part of that is a combination of not knowing what to watch and not wanting to gamble my time on something that I might not end up enjoying. Well, I'm excited to say that I may have found a solution to these problems. This episode of Beyond the Screenplay is brought to you by Mubi a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Okay, so how does it work? Every day, Mubi premieres a new film. Whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, a movie you've been dying to see, or one you've never heard of before, there's always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected by an actual human, never an algorithm. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. And my favorite part is that each film is only available for 30 days. This creates just the slightest bit of pressure to make sure you'll actually watch the film and not simply add it to your ever-increasing list of films to check out where it will soon be forgotten. You can try Mubi for free by going to mubi.com slash beyond the screenplay. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash beyond the screenplay. If you were to just go to the website without using our link, you only get a seven-day free trial. But Beyond the Screenplay listeners get a whole month of great cinema for free. So again, head to movie.com slash beyondthescreenplay or click on the link in our show notes to start your 30-day trial of movie. In doing so, you'll be helping support the show and get access to a service that I think you'll like. Thanks to Mubi for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay. But I, I will say the other thing that shares a chromosome with what you're talking about is the action itself which is to me i think of the fugitive i think of terminator 2 mm -hmm. i think of the dark knight like seeing a, an 18 wheeler like get flipped or go off a thing or something like that <laughs> to me it, like seeing real footage of that and of course you slow it down and you milk it but I'm sorry, you didn't say Mad Max Fury Road, and I'm confused. Well, Fury Road is like <laughs> a masterclass in like just doing Stunts that every two and, yeah, seconds. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm talking about sort of like mm. you know, Dark Knight isn't old, old, but like yeah. the, um, the classics, right. the lineage. Of course, yeah, we graduate from that to like 
we talked about this in MCU, like, oh, now Iron Man and the Hulk are throwing buses at each other, but it's all CG and cartoony. And you're like, even though the things that are happening are bigger, I don't feel as I'm not having a visceral response to it because I, I'm just, I feel like I'm taken out of it. Whereas, oh no, that's a truck coming off a thing. And it can be something as simple as that or in Fugitive, it's actually Harrison Ford jumping away from a crashing train. Like they filmed that scene and it's like that scene that's in the really fugitive cool. is amazing yeah um and and i think that that's that's where you get tricky that's where it gets tricky when you go to cgi and that kind of thing is like okay you have to make it feel earned you have to make me feel like i am feeling this thing and terminator 2 is obviously does that really well and the scene where arnold lifts him off of his own like dirt bike or whatever and puts him on his own motorcycle and it runs over the dirt bike that he used to be on mm-hmm. it is very upsetting and thrilling like you you are sitting at the edge of your seat even in 2019 when the helicopter was like diving under the overpass oh i was like that is the most dangerous thing you could pop like, <laughs> like that's insane that you guys and did that and i can tell it's a real helicopter actually doing that yeah, right yeah. Yeah. Like, michael's like just nervous He's like cut, cut. <laughs> well i mean, already filmed it it's fine <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned the dark knight because i think the reason the dark knight resonated with me so hard beyond the joker beyond heath ledger's amazing performance was that it felt like it had recaptured that mm. t2 action feeling you know, right. especially that car chase scene it was like oh, oh yeah. i've been missing this where has this been this is like solid heavy like crunchy you know intense action scene yeah that doesn't feel safe there's no safety with the cg and the kind of bounciness right it's just like an amazing like balls to the wall cut out the music just loud sound let's just do it mm-hmm. and i i think t2 also just is still such a classic in my mind because every scene is that like i don't i don't think any of the action sequences are really subpar you know there's a lot of movies there's like the one sequence that's like really stellar and then the rest are kind of average right but everything even down to sarah connor trying to escape from the yeah mental institution oh my gosh. what, what an am- amazing sequence an amazing maybe one of my favorite sequences in the whole movie yeah just, just because of her like jog Oh, it's a pretty her jog is like, when she spins a baton jog. Yeah, the baton yeah. jog like shot is forever burned in my mind. <laughs> that is like one of these shots. Yeah. But even going back to we're talking about like those big rigs and like all of that, the explosions and everything. The scene back at the end on the bridge where you know the T one thousand flips like gets in pulls the guy out of the big rig or whatever and then like you know makes a u-turn and comes back to get them and then runs over that car it's so good sorry is that what we were talking about all along i thought we were talking about the chase with the motorcycle at the beginning we're talking about it all (laughs) i mean it's all amazing well i think there's something i guess just like a human weird michael and i were talking about this like what is it about like vehicles like loudly like crashing and breaking things that is so Mm. freaking satisfying that's (laughs) kind of what i was thinking about the entire time watching terminator 2 was like like what is it about our monkey brains that's just like big things smash go boom like i will like but but we're like picky about it too that there's like no we want to feel like it's got to be real like we have a certain like it's got to range be, that we can accept our big boom. It's got to be like <laughs> adi- adequately heavy feeling and mm-hmm. like crunchy and loud. Well, and, also, yeah. like, yeah, like Terminator 2 is like also such a like blue collar industrial. Yes, yes. You know what I mean? It's like you've got your mm-hmm. dive Both bar. Of the Terminators are. Well, sure. Yeah. Like you've got your industrial factory and your dive bar and your motorcycles mm-hmm. and your trucks and all this kind of stuff. And there is something visceral about that. Same with Alien, the sort of truckers in space aspect of mm-hmm. just sort of this feeling of like, oh, 
this is real stuff. This is right. like the bar down the street. This is the guy that I saw walking, you know, whatever the other day. Like, it just feels like, oh, this is our world that we're seeing this fantasy happen in. Well, that goes back to that James Cameron quote that you had, um, which was about the Sarah Connor being an every woman. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's where this movie is at its best. Not that she is in this movie, because obviously she's completely transformed mm -hmm. from the first film. But in the first movie, the setting up of who Sarah Connor is, she's so normal, right? She's so relatable. She's living the they have that whole scene in the diner where everyone is being terrible to her and that kid puts a scoop of ice cream yeah, in her yeah. pocket. What was that? I was just like, what is this? Like, I feel like if, if like, too on the nose cool, like, cool bad boy kid is, like, a 90s thing. Right. I feel like some of that stuff was, like, Harry weird, waitress like, like is... 80s thing. Like, like, like mischief. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, like, extreme mischief. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna sacrifice my entire dessert just to put it in your apron or whatever. Which like, no kid would ever do, yeah. realistically. Extreme mischief is the name of my, uh, band <laughs> <laughs> and her friend is so 80s my god oh my god it's, it's amazing <laughs> but yeah this this everydayness or this feeling of accessibility is really where these movies shine because we are much more interested in seeing a movie about somebody like us that is being put into this extreme situation right. and they're coping and obviously reese is there and he's saving everything and, and trying to teach her how to do everything but that is it's relatable. Mm -hmm. It makes Sarah likable. You want to see her survive. I mean, all you need to do is hear her calling to her iguana to like come and jump on her shoulder. And you're just like, I love you. You <laughs> you should live. And then her boyfriend stands her up, which I love. It's random side plot right. where they're like dressing up to go out. And she goes to a movie by herself. Uh -huh. You know, she's just like a working woman. <laughs> like <laughs> she's relatable. And then when we see the trans, it makes the transformation all that more effective. Again, just hail to that choice. Because that is one of the strongest choices that you ever could have started with for T2. I was trying to think of yeah other sequels that do that much of a radical transformation and nothing is like jumping to mind. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, it's a bold work. It's a bold move because usually yeah. the safe assumption is, well, if this first movie worked and was successful, then kind of do the same thing. And to be like, no, my mm -hmm. very likable, every woman, normal, you know, female lead is now going to be kind of crazy and like really intense and like doing things that we actually aren't rooting for her to do at certain points in the movie. That's a very bold choice, but it makes so much sense for the story world. So like, thank God he did it. Of course the, the transformation or the, the, uh, the one eighty doesn't always work because when you make John Connor, the bad guy, you have Terminator Genesis. Mm. And I did not see four, five. That's number five? Five. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Because we're so coming one, up on six. Six is yeah. the next one's yes. coming out. But in, as far as James Cameron's concerned, it's three. Which okay, so yeah, I was as gonna, far as I'm concerned, I was gonna, I was gonna ask about that because yeah, is it basically because Sarah Connor's still alive in it? Yeah, which and she died in Terminator Three, or she, she was, was she dead was dead. dead. Yeah. yeah, so basically we're just skipping over everything. Yep. So it's T two and now it's Terminator Dark Fate. Yep. It's like it's okay. like you know, Inglorious Bastards uh, logic. Just pretend that stuff never happened and I'm, it happened this way instead. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this is sort of the first Terminator movie. In 15 years, math, <laughs> 18 years, longer. Oh, no. It's been a long time. Um. Anyway, this is the sort of the first one I'm interested in seeing. Mm -hmm. Me too. Honestly, I mean, the minute I saw the trailer in theaters and the minute Linda Hamilton climbs out of that car with like, what does she have a grenade launcher? Yeah, like and I'm something. just like, <laughs> yes. Like, I will go see that movie all day. Yeah. And I really haven't seen 
I think I maybe saw three once. I definitely haven't seen four or five. Mm. Yeah, no. Yeah, I remember seeing three uh, with my friend who originally showed me Terminator, like who got me into Terminator 2. And it was one of the more awkward, like it was like, oh, this is like embarrassing. Yeah, like, I've, I've seen awkward. I've seen them all and the television show. Um, oh, right. Yeah, the show is great with Lena Headey as Sarah Connor. Um, Which is such an interesting, just random little piece of trivia that two Game of Thrones characters right. have played. Right, right. Like Sarah the Connor. two Sarah Connor. The yeah. two queens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, but uh, the show was great, except that season two ends on a cliffhanger and that's it uh because then the show was canceled because that's frustrating how tv works um but yeah three was weird three was trying to sort of like take the the comedy of two and it made it too campy so it's like arnold goes Hi. into a dive bar but it's a gay bar and you know mm. there's the hashtag the, eye roll the terminatrix or the yeah. tx yeah. you know and of this um, time it's a model yeah but um which okay but <laughs> not that i'm defending it but watching terminator one and then two again like the the robots chose arnold to be their their like archetype their prototype sure. like why that decision why an austrian man twice like <laughs> well, well they I, rebuilt he can, him he can do any voice right but his well, default exactly. voice is with a strong accent right well like, i think in why? dark fate we're going to meet maybe the like Arnold oh, plays a character, so yeah. I don't know how much. Oh, he's gonna be like a human person, right? Like in uh, in Alien versus Predator, uh, Lance Henriksen plays the character that Bishop is modeled after. Oh, cool! Oh. You know? And I wonder if they're doing like a similar thing here. I I'm sure I'm it's here already for it. Yeah, mm. but I will say Terminator Salvation I thought was pretty decent, just because it's kind of it took place during the war, and mm -hmm. I think you look at like the opening battle sequence of t2 you're like i want to see this movie this yeah. is cool and uh terminator salvation isn't great but i think it did a good job of being like let's actually live in this sort of dark territory for a little while and then genesis was just like a fun stupid bad movie but <laughs> you're like yeah. well okay i watched it <laughs> yeah i mean I, just sort of going to what you're talking about brian normally sometimes we talk about the weight of the past but i think t2 works because of the weight of the future where we know that Sarah Connor, you know, she has that vision at the beginning, and it's of the kids and the playground. Yeah, it's brutal. It's so horrifying. Dream. When it goes to the, like the full dream later, and it's just like it draws it out. It's like yeah. let's have the first blast and another blast now. <laughs> yeah. Now they're going to be like dis disintegrated, and now her skeleton's left. And yeah, <laughs> it's it's gruesome. Um, but we have to have that from a character standpoint. We have to have that motivator. And we, the audience, have to be visually reminded of what is at stake in order to really be on board with Sarah's journey. And so, like, as goofy slash upsetting, they're kind of both when yeah, you watch them out. That's fair. You know, as sort of whatever as they are, they're still in there for a very specific reason. And so, you know, we were talking on Aliens about how they cut a scene out of it that has to do with a character choice and how inexcusable we all find and found that at the time. I'm glad that didn't, I mean, you've seen the extended edition, so you probably know more than I do, but I'm glad that like a lot of that motivational sort of stuff for Sarah stayed in T2 because I really feel like you do need it. Definitely, yeah. And it's it's a weird thing watching that because that moment basically motivates the plot forward. Exactly. And it's it feels like a little bit like cheating to me. Like it's basically she goes to sleep. She has a dream. And now the movie's about this. And I feel like if executed in any other way, like I feel like that would have felt lame. But because it is maybe because it is so drawn out and it really is like we're going to experience 
her and be in this headspace it like it it has enough to catapult us into the next section where mm-hmm. now she's going off by herself and they have to go chase after her even though they just got her and but we're gonna do it again because <laughs> she has a new thing now mm-hmm. i feel like it it's that weird thing where i was like eh, okay yes this works but like i feel like you got lucky a little bit like you couldn't do this twice and have it be okay mm-hmm. well speaking of the dream and just kind of the nuclear fear nuclear. you said nuclear did i do it i think it's like the second time you've done it <laughs> oh, no. stop counting bry <laughs> yikes anyway the threat from the atom bomb yeah um i think is really it was interesting watching it because it's not like that threat has gone away no (laughs) it's 100 percent still here and maybe more dangerous than ever in our current global climate but we just don't really think about it as much day to day and now we have also climate change and all these other new global threats on top of it and it just it was just interesting watching the movie again and being like oh that was never really solved like this isn't just definitely not like this. Could, you could still have a movie where this is like the main nightmare. We just haven't had it in like the media as much to like as our primary nightmare. But, it's not in the consciousness as much. Right. Yeah. Well, Cold War. Right. We have a little bit of distance on the Cold War now where we're just kind of like, wasn't that crazy? Everyone almost blew each other up. <laughs> anyway, movies. <laughs> this is kind of a weird transition. But in thinking about that, when we were talking about, you know, Sarah Connor as an every woman earlier, I was trying to think like, is that a thing we have anymore? Like, is there an every mm. person? Like, I can't remember the last time I saw a movie that was really about like, oh, he's just like an average Joe, like going about his life. That like, wasn't like a romantic comedy. Yeah, yeah. Or like, you know, the first 20 minutes of a superhero movie. Like, well, that's what I was going to say is that yeah. you have your Tony Starks and your Bruce Wayne's, but then you have your Peter Parker's and your Bruce Banner's, you know, where it's like, oh, I'm just like, I mean, Bruce Banner's like a really smart guy, but you know, your sort of character who's just a, a person trying to go through life and then suddenly is a superhero. But even like MCU recently, it, it is a little more like Dr. Strange, like this cool rich guy, you know, and it's like uh, where their sort of character arc is going from like powerful to, I don't know, to then back as opposed to like a Peter Parker who goes from like totally ineffectual, like, you know, every, every, every boy uh, <laughs> to then becoming this superhero. But again, yeah. that's all superhero well, movies. I feel like that's also just a sign of the times where we live in a, in a time where culture is not one, you know, we're living in our own bubbles, our own kind of, we're kind of in a very multicultural pluralistic, you know, kind of uncomfortably so moment. And we don't have a unified oh, this is like what an average person is. You right. know, that, that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, it never really existed, but right. we kind of had a previous like, oh, it like- did in the movies. They're only, yeah, yeah. They're only white people and sure. <laughs> they look pretty and they look like this and like this is an average person. Yeah, yeah. like like uh, just Devil Wears Prada popped to mind where yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, like even in her world, she is kind of like the the frumpy one or like the one right. who- but- Anne Hathaway is so like fat and ugly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. The craziest, but the she's craziest still- lines of the movie where people call her fat. Right, <laughs> right. Everyone is just like, oh my God. But she's still- um, this driven, you know, beautiful New Yorker and yes. stuff. So it's not yeah. Linda Hamilton working in a diner. It's, oh, mm. well, I'm, you know, a journalist and blah, 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 and I'm going to do this stuff. So it's like sometimes, yeah, even the every person is still cool or still, you know, whereas, yeah, back in Terminator days, it just felt like, oh, we can just have this person well, be here. Let's just go back to like one of these classic archetypal stories, right? Which I feel like the Terminator series lives into sort of that huge tradition that you have of like a hero's journey where you have an average person there's a, this is called to adventure and whatever mm. so a hobbit comes to mind not yeah. the hobbit 
a hobbit who then inherits a ring, say, right? That's the kind of thing that we respond to as sort of being the same kind of archetypal story. Obviously, that's fantasy, but it still is. That's in every person. Mm-hmm. A well, hobbit is in every person I think, I think the in the hobbit, way that a waitress is. The hobbit, the book especially, is a great example. Absolutely. Because... Uh, I was actually just talking about this today in my book club, uh, which was not about The Hobbit. Um, but uh, but it's like in that book, you spend this time with Bilbo and he just loves his yeah. home and he wants to sit by the fire and have a tea. And then this thing happens. And there are so many, every so many pages in the book, he just says, I just wish I was by my fire at mm-hmm. home. And yeah, you're in Middle Earth, but you're just going, ah, like this, like every man just wants to like be at home and enjoy a cup of tea by himself. You know, like it's not like I miss my kids or something. It's just because uh, even something like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, right? Mm-hmm. She is very average. But she is the person that takes the step. She runs away from home. She goes and meets that fortune teller and whatever. She is taking an action. There's action on her part. So there is still this sort of like, I don't want to say transcendent or or divine, but like this sort of call to adventure from above in some ways when she gets sucked up by a tornado and dropped into Oz. But she is still taking some initiative in a way that Sarah Connor is absolutely not. The Terminator, it happens to her. It happens to her. She gets snatched out of that super ordinary, super boring life that she honestly is not unhappy with. She seemed fine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, her job kind of sucked, but besides that. Yeah. Her iguana. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I was just it was interesting watching how in that sequence in the Terminator where it's like this is her waitress job and like look at how average it is and like doesn't like working suck but like that's life yeah <laughs> like it, it just it's so doing it's doing that so hard yeah that it just made me realize like we don't have like that like you were saying Alex like I think just culturally we're aware that we're all so like there are different people and there are different kinds of people and that there there isn't this just like easy quick reference homogenous like, yeah yeah well we're and, in a globalized culture now you know like and yeah. movies travel and you know yeah what it is to be one type of thing in one country is very different in another and it's it's yeah we don't have that unified kind of like bubble american yeah 80s thing going on i like when i can identify like film language changing and it was just an yeah. interesting idea of mm. like that was a, a piece of language that existed that does not exist like that anymore when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What I'm curious to see, because there's kind of like, from a, I get from the trailers in the new Terminator movie, there's somebody who needs to be protected, a new character. Always. Yeah, and I'm curious what her background is and what they're defining as this new every woman who like is the average person who needs to be protected in the new movie. Yeah. We should all go see it and reconvene and Can maybe we do please? like a Patreon episode. Oh, mini episode. Subscribe to us yeah. on Patreon, everybody. It's no, but I, can we please like take a field trip? And I go? really want to yeah. see. Oh, I'm like excited about it. We should it. see it together. We've never That's done that before. That's what I'm saying. We should do that. <laughs> field trip. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and then we I'm, will walk out of the theater and not speak at all. <laughs> oh, just God. go straight to the microphones. <laughs> yeah. We need to record the podcast that night. It, it, yes. In the car, like in the parking lot. <laughs>
<laughs> exactly. What were you going to say, Brian? Um, I wanted to uh, to go back to talking about like extended scenes and stuff yeah, like that because I think it's a fascinating concept. Um, just to like add a couple extended scenes that were in uh, Terminator Two. There's a, a scene with Michael Bean as Kyle Reese in like a fever right. dream that Sarah's happening, and first of all, it doesn't feel earned because it's in the first twenty minutes of the movie, and Michael Bean is still acting like it's 1984 oh you know he's like sarah you have to wake up you have to do it's like <laughs> buddy like what's going on here um and, and it just it's just weird and doesn't feel earned and that's one of those scenes where i'm like yeah i think this scene maybe makes this cut worse mm. um but then you have the scene i talked about where she decides not to kill the terminator uh and then there's a scene where Miles Dyson's at home working and the kids want to go to Raging Waters and, and his wife's <laughs> like, come waters. on. And uh, and he said, no, I got to work on this thing. It's going to be great. It's going to blow them all away, blah, blah, blah. <gasps> oh, and then she's like, well, let's take a day off. And he says, okay. And the kids come in. They're so excited. And that, that scene is lovely because first mm. of all, just wa- more time with that family, you know. They're lovely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also just because it really, it really makes you more invested in them. Um, and there's some other little moments. There's John Connor teaching um, the T-800 to smile. Uh, oh, I remember and, this. Yeah, That's a good like, scene. That's it's a it's good, good but it's yeah. also, it's like, if you take Arnold, Arnold too cartoony, then he's mm. not a badass anymore. Mm. Yeah. So I think the scene is fine, but I could also, I see the argument for cutting it. I don't think it's, but point about mentioning all this is during Aliens, we talked about I like I always want to watch the director's cut of a movie because I want to watch whatever they think the version is I should see. Uh, in Aliens, James Cameron says, this is the movie we wanted to see. In Terminator 2, he said, this is another cut that I think is like nice to watch. And I think they're both good, but at your own discretion, which I think is is nice. You know, it's, he's, he didn't say, here's some extended cut. You can do it if you want. He's like, these are two different cuts of the movie they they're both good i like both of them you know uh and i think that sort of gives you almost gives me like permission as a viewer to say okay i'll watch the theatrical you know um but but i'm just always curious when there are these cuts that you're not quite so sure about like there's donnie darko where the director's cut sort of mm-hmm. just changes what the style of the movie is there's yeah. like chapter headings and like all this kind of stuff uh alex i think you said off mic one time like you prefer not to watch director's cuts it's not that I avoid them. It's that I, I notice that I tend to enjoy the theatrical cut more after watching them. Usually I find that the pacing of the theatrical cut makes a big enough difference that I'm actually, I, I find it to be a better overall film experience than most director extended cuts. Mm-hmm. I think it was, it was Midsummer we were talking about. It was about. Midsummer, yeah. Yeah. Where like that's a movie where I felt like if we had gotten to the ending sooner, maybe I wouldn't have dropped out. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm like being invested in the movie. Midsummer is an in- interesting example because there's almost more, um, there's more continuity in the director's cut. There's more like, oh, I, I'm, I'm actually tracking like the day night cycles of when they're there more in the director's cut. But in the original cut, it's almost more like a fever dream the whole time where you're like, how long have they been there? Like, what day is it? Like, mm. what's happening? And that kind of makes it all just bleed together in a really wonderful way mm. and i actually missed that in the director's cut it was, it was a little too linear right and it i think it plays better as more of a fever dream where you're just almost kind of confused mm-hmm. yeah because i feel like i like i like the in your example that james cameron says what each version is mm-hmm. and what he thinks it should be because i think you can misread director's cut as like this is what it was like supposed to be and then like the studio came in and messed it up but i think that's not always the case and and i think and i think you said with uh alien really scott also kind of felt that way where it's like there's an extended cut 
but Alien is the movie one we exactly. wanted to see. Yeah. And I think just so much happens in the editing process yes. that I think it's, yeah, and knowing the context behind the cut is important because it might be more, less the actual true vision and more like a rough draft mm-hmm. that they hadn't gotten to finish yet. Yeah. I mean, the funny part is uh, the editor in me usually wants a combination of the two cuts. Mm-hmm. Like usually mm-hmm. there's like, a few really important scenes from the director's cut that I wish were in the original theatrical cut, but then there's other scenes that I am very happy were cut. That's how I feel about you, know? you too. And it's just like, it's it's frustrating sometimes. I almost want to just take them and make a super cut of like my choosing. Like this would be my cut of the movie. Right. The combination of these things. Speaking of Ridley Scott, Kingdom of Heaven. I saw that movie in the theater and it was two and a half hours long maybe. And I walked out and I thought, I've never seen a movie where I walked out of the first viewing going, I want to see a director's cut of this movie. I want to see an extended cut mm. because the pacing is so like, now we're here. Now we're here. Now, this right. guy, you know, I remember I have only seen it once and I remember being pretty confused during it. I mm-hmm. was like, what is this movie? I, yeah. It, it feels like this kind of grand epic, but yes, yeah, the pacing was off. Right. And, and I've heard the director's cut is way better. The director's cut is four hours long. <gasps> Whoa. But I will tell you, I love it. Like I, I, wa- I gotta I, watch it. I put it on and was like, well, so it's two movies. <laughs> sure yeah it's two movies worth of, of content right. you know yeah i mean so is return of the king extended it's like 343 or something that's another uh, one that i would like to do a combo and not the whole, <laughs> yeah. not the whole, whole thing yeah. um but no, i just thought it was really fascinating to see how much more i enjoyed the movie seeing the director's cut versus the theatrical and obviously mm-hmm. lord of the rings is the obvious example right of course. most people are like there is no theatrical cut anymore you know but then you i do disagree have... with that because peter yeah. jackson even said that the theatrical cut is the cut like no he said that he said that these are extended cuts to like give you more of the world and more but he said the movies that we release theatrically are my vision those are the he said that at the, some point then why, then why did he film four more hours of content because <laughs> why not i don't know i mean that's he said that at one point maybe he changed his mind okay but, but I, I feel like that's one of those examples where there's key scenes especially in the two towers that i think fill mm. out uh like uh, Farmir's backstory yeah. Yeah. that like make him actually like make sense and make him more of a real character. Right. Cause and he has this random line, a chance for Faramir, captain of Gondor to show his quality yeah. makes no sense in the theatrical. Right. Then, and then in the uh, extended, you see the flashback scene with uh, Denethor and, and Boromir. And he's like, Oh, you want to go do this? A chance for Faramir, captain of Gondor to show his quality. I remember watching that with my friends. The first time we saw the extended and we're like, Oh, that's yeah. who you are. That's like everything about your career. Right. They, they, this is like the very important information to have to understand why you're doing anything anyway. But, but in those, uh, extended cuts it's like it's almost perfect and then they go to these weird extended like tree beard scenes or mm-hmm. like now we're gonna sing yeah, a song from tracks. the books and it's just like oh, i don't want these just give me like the good stuff it's the creator dealing with constraints of course and right i think yeah knowing the decisions behind all of because you know the aliens commentary um gail ann heard and james cameron were talking about the reason they had to cut aliens down and it was like well multiplexes have yep. this many screenings and it has to be under this time to get the maximum number of screenings per day. So we need to it's cut a reel's worth of business. movie. Yep. And so it's like, well, we cut the section. But sometimes that makes the movie better or shows you, shakes you out of what you thought the perfect version of the thing is. You right. discover things that are that work actually better or you realize you don't need this. And, and I think it can just kind of run the gamut. I mean, it, I think about Arrested Development actually is an example of this Hmm. where they did the new season Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. netflix and i just i couldn't finish it it was so bad and painful but and i think 
a lot of the there was a lot of reasons but, but they had to do it that way for logistical reasons right and, yeah. and there was no constraints of it It has to be 22 minutes to the like to the minute yeah like it could be a 30 yeah, but minute they just couldn't episode get any of the actors in the same room at the same right. time that too but <laughs> but i feel like there is it's that weird thing with constraints where if you don't have any you can make a yep. indulgent boring thing and if you have too many then maybe you're cutting out the thing that makes your movie makes sense makes sense right well the interesting thing is I would imagine, I'm not going to actually predict the future because the minute I do, I'm going to be wrong. Look, there are different days for Judgment Day in every Terminator movie, so no one really knows. But it'll be interesting to see now that we have all of these distribution platforms where it really doesn't matter how long an episode of TV is, quote unquote. You know, I am not that old, but I came up at a time where... I was still being taught in film school, okay, if you're writing a, a spec, a TV spec, and you're modeling it on whatever procedural, it has to be this exact number of pages. And it has to be, you have to have your five act, you know, so you have your commercial breaks and whatever. And same thing with screenwriting structure. It has to be this exact number of pages. And like, if you sent a spec script to your even just your friend, not even a producer. And, and, and you know, it's it's 130 pages. They're like, it's too long. It's like, you didn't even read any of them. You glanced at the page count. And so now we're in a place where because of the way distribution is working and production for that matter, the entire model has changed. That matters less and less and less. And so I will be so curious to see, you know, I wonder what, well, we're going to get a chance to see, but I was just saying, I wonder what Lord of the Rings would be if it were a miniseries now. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, one thing I've heard just kind of what the industry is looking for now is really it's not about any of these nope. procedural like no. formulas it's really can you capture an audience with the most compelling characters with the most compelling conflict so you must subscribe to this platform and you cannot exactly. stop watching the show <laughs> and if you can do that then it doesn't matter if it's a you know limited series or yeah, a feature it or you know it's it's you know, you're doing it in these very basic storytelling Forms. I said yeah. the word procedural to a group of young people the other day, <laughs> and they had no idea what I was talking about. And then right. I said, like, the names of some of the longest running, most famous procedurals ever, like ER, stuff like that, you know, uh, Law and Order. No idea. Law and Order? No, Gen Z is not about that. Yeah. They do not watch procedurals. Yeah. Why would they? Yeah. Hard agree. PewDiePie's There's no reason. None for of them. <laughs> <laughs> God. Oh. Uh, <laughs> It is. Yeah. It we made is. how many episodes of that saying that name? <laughs> <laughs> I think, we did I think our best. It's interesting because I think there's also then going to be, I think that puts the responsibility on the creator then. Like when you're it given does. ultimate freedom as a creator, you have to then self-discipline. And I think right. it just means you have to be really tuned into that and understand the importance of constraints and limitations and sometimes you get to make exactly the movie you want and it's the phantom menace so you know <laughs> right yeah. yeah what a lesson that yeah. is <laughs> yeah Yikes. um real quick uh, i want to talk about the the sort of family aspect which we really didn't get to with it's such a huge we part also of didn't T2. talk about linda hamilton's performance which i really need yeah. to talk about all right let's do it i think it's so interesting that you start the movie with with Sarah Connor who just wants to see her son and then John Connor is like oh my mom's total loser you know she's blah 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 <laughs> yeah but then the moment where the Terminator says oh he's gonna go kill her you know the the T-1000 will try to you know reacquire her though um then like he's like no we gotta go save her I order you you know just like which I love <laughs> such a heartbreaking scene um but then the moment they save Sarah 
she just says to John, I didn't need your help. Like you shouldn't have done it. You know, like it's not crushing. thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's good. sort of like the the facade versus the, the weak, you know, like mm-hmm. that whole thing. Uh, and and then, she scolds him yeah. for putting himself at risk for coming to save her. Right. He's a soldier, not her son. You know? yeah. yeah. What a brilliant yeah writing choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. Yeah. That the the conflict in that movie where, you know, and a lot of it is manifest when they're in that car, right, where she's like doesn't trust the the t-800 and then she doesn't know her son he doesn't know her they're in the car with a machine that odd triad makes for a lot of amazing conflict even though a lot of those scenes end up being sort of expository or whatever it works really well and and, and all of that contributes to what we were talking about which is about the dyson it turns out to be a pretty big part of the plot but when it it starts and she leaves and she goes to kill miles dyson it feels like a subplot Mm -hmm. And then that whole like family theme, it's brilliant actually. Yeah. Also, Joe Morton as Miles Dyson, just his performance is like, oh it's yeah, just, he's tremendous. Is there another character you want to just hug more than oh my God, Miles yes. Dyson? Oh, it's yeah. like and, dying and holding the thing. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> well, I really when, when, it's when, such a oh, good, so good. When Hank from Breaking Bad shows up and uh, yes. like for like a shot, <laughs> yeah. I do feel like that's where James Cameron. Yeah, he, both in Aliens yes. and in Terminator 2, just he he really lets his actors go to these kind of extreme places that are almost, you know, I feel like slick Hollywood action movies sometimes they don't want to embarrass themselves or it's mm. like it's like it's going to be the cool way to die or the cool way to do this thing. It's like what does it actually look like to be like bleeding out to death mm-hmm. and trying to hold something desperately with your last breath? You know, the, let's do that actually, not mm. just like the cool like slick safe version. Speaking of the every person like idea, Dyson very much also is an every person who just has fate sort of thrust upon him mm. in that way where Sarah Connor just barges into his house. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He's not planning to try to cause the apocalypse or anything like that. That's another really awesome example. It really recalls the original where terminators show up in her life and she's just for something in the future. She doesn't have any control over and isn't trying to do or ruin or be a part of. And claims her in the way that she comes in and claims Miles well, Dyson. And she and... is the Terminator in that moment. Ew! Which is so good. I, <laughs> I never really thought about until this last viewing. But yeah. It's like she has become the Terminator. Exactly. Yeah. She came there to kill him and then decides not to because she's human. But yeah. It's kind of in... Minority Report-esque also. Mm-hmm. Like of course. people for things yes, they haven't done they yet. Haven't done yet. Yeah. What, is the, what is the ethics of that? Yeah. yeah. Also, it's, this is a time travel movie. I yeah. love time yeah. travel movies mm-hmm. and watching it again. It's like, wow, this did so many of the time travel things that I just have in my brain as what you do in time travel movies. Similar mm-hmm. to Aliens, though. You can't take your clothes if you're going to go time traveling. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they can keep underwear on in Aliens. That's yeah. true, but you're mm. not going to be able to bring your clothes when you travel back in time. Is there, isn't there? there a line to well, explain they it? They don't travel back in time in Aliens. Yeah, there's some time travel They're just in Aliens. freezing themselves. Well, for you know, 57 years. But no, I'm just saying in this movie, you can't take your clothes if you're going to go back in time. Right. Don't you're, even think about saying, it. Don't try. You're saying the lack of clothes is the similarity. Yeah, Kyle explains that to Sarah. In yeah, the there's first a movie. line about it, isn't yeah, there? He says yeah, you, you, can't, you can't take anything. Yeah. yeah. Just your flesh and the things enclosed within your flesh. Right. Don't. I've also <laughs> while rewatching, I realized I should not try to question the logic no. of the Terminator. No. I thought it was later that they stopped making sense, but kind of just from the beginning, it's all yeah. it's all a little wonky. Really quick, what what you guys were talking about about the heart 
that this movie yes. has heart. Mm-hmm. Yes. And like I watch these movies and there's part of me that's like, oh, this is a dumb action movie. But then the rest of the movie happens and I'm like, no, this is a good movie. And like I almost resent it for being good and being a dumb <laughs> like it's undeniable. Why, and why do you resent it? I, I I think I just like I'm cynical Michael. I've become so yeah, immediately judgy of dumb action movies, or I just like categorize them quickly because there's so mm. many of them as being this you know, they do the things that they do. Uh, and these are ex- Aliens and Terminator 2, whether I like them or not. I love Terminator 2, by the way. More than Aliens. It's crazy. Yes. Yeah, I think so. But they are doing this thing where they are, they are telling a story while also having cool action stuff. And then I just look at things like Transformers that like tries to replicate some of that where it's like here's the action scenes and then like here's kind of a story in between them but it's like clearly an afterthought and i think that's what i continue to respect about the movies even as i tried to judge them for being 80s movies and having all these problems there's just something undeniable about their construction that i think is really really impressive well it's it's yeah like you're that's a really good example of the difference between some of these summer blockbusters these franchises where you 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 go to them and they feel so soulless they don't they don't have that like that deep thematic core that these kind of james cameron movies have where you feel like the movie can do the most amazing balls of the wall action stuff but it's never very far from like the core thematic like heartfelt message and the heartfelt exploration it's almost like if you craft characters that have stakes something to lose a need some might say versus just a desire where's the explosion (laughs) but no there's like there's as much care in the scenes between the characters as there is in the action they're not they're not like the throwaway scenes you have to do to like hit this beat you know to make sure that they learn something you know it's like these are part of the movie as much as the action scenes yeah yeah there's a lot of really even if you don't like the terminator the T2 relies on it. It absolutely relies on it. It doesn't make sense as a movie without it because we have to have that relationship between Sarah and Kyle and we have to have all of, you know, imagine if there was no The Terminator. There's no sympathy for Sarah Connor at the beginning of this movie where she's just like in a mental health facility and that's a polite word for what that is. Right, Uh, right. You know, and they're just like restraining her and None of that makes any sense. It has to be about the characters, which we say all the time, but you have to have that arc and you have to spend the time with them. Otherwise, we don't care about this family. And then you spend the whole movie helping the characters learn how to care for each other. That's the human part that you're Mm -hmm, talking mm -hmm, about, where it's like, it's not cool learning how to care for each other. But it makes it's not the it's not cynical. Mm-hmm. Touching, it's not cynical. Yeah, it's very earnest. It is. Uh, well, speaking of all this, did you want to say anything about Linda Hamilton? I just love her so much. <laughs> like, well, first of all, her bangs. Can we talk oh my God. about that them? one scene where she's trying to like pretend to be like cured? Oh and, yeah, 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 yeah. Her bangs are so intense in that scene. Oh my God! I just <laughs> everything about her haircut and her whole physicality in this movie, but. But it is her physicality that makes this movie work. Like, compare this to The Terminator. Oh, it's really amazing, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's How much she commits to this transformation. Yeah. Tremendous. That opening scene where she's just doing pull-ups. Mm-hmm. She's, like, locked in her room. And she turns for the first time. Just... Mm-hmm. With her bangs over her <laughs> yeah, face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bangs. Hey, um, Dr. Silverman, how's the knee? <laughs> so good. 
Also, she's Earl Bowen so back good. as Dr. Silverman, just like I, the I forgot he was in the so first good. movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I respect her so much. Her absolute commitment to this. Again, we go back to that transformation. We go back to that choice to make Sarah such a different character. But you have to have somebody like Linda Hamilton who is willing to really transform her actual body and really put herself actually through it to become a different character. That is the only reason this movie works. And she's phenomenal mm-hmm. at all moments of it. I'm yeah. I mean, I would actually just watch a movie of her trying to escape from that asylum. Like it's yeah. right, right. incredibly compelling. Hey, listeners, Brian here. Just wanted to take a quick moment and thank you for listening to Beyond the Screenplay. If you like the podcast, we'd really love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us to grow the show and get more guest episodes with writers and directors. Also, if you want to help us to continue to make these episodes, you can become a patron on Patreon. For $2 a month, patrons get extra mini episodes and patron-exclusive Q&As. I know what you're thinking. For $2, I could buy 200 pieces of penny candy. But let me tell you from experience, that's too much candy. All right, back to the episode. Good movies. There's a lot to learn from these movies. So why don't we might. go around and say what lessons we've learned from Terminator 2 that we're going to take away. What a smooth transition. Thank you, Brian. Brian. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is actually right on the heels of what we were talking about is those quiet moments. You know, I, I think sometimes I find when I watch an action movie, I have the opposite response as other people where they're like, oh, action scene's done. People are talking. I can go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, like the action scene didn't actually, it was cool, but it didn't necessarily further the plot. Like it was, oh, now these guys are going to fight for five minutes or now this guy's going to chase this other guy for five minutes. Obviously good action movies, the action does, you know, there change are stakes and it yep. does change something. Um, but the scenes in between the action is that's where the story happens. That's where the story actually happens. Uh, and I, I was thinking about this just during the moment where she's watching uh, Arnold play with John and she, you know, and she has her whole monologue, but it wasn't even like, forget the monologue itself, just the sort of aesthetic quality of that quiet moment, you mm-hmm. know, just like they're here, they're at peace. She's just watching them. And I feel like I can take a breath. And that's kind of why what I talked about was something like the extended cut of Fellowship of the Ring, for instance. There are all these quiet character moments between the action. And I feel like that's where I come into the world. And that's where I fall in love with these characters. And that's mm. where I get to know what this thing is. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's funny because that moment ends with her deciding to go, you know, kill the nicest guy in the world, but like, uh, <laughs> she doesn't, she doesn't. Yeah. I mean, uh, she, well, she, she pulls she the trigger. She, she pulls the trigger. Him a lot. What if she'd showed up and Miles Dyson was a total jerk? Yeah. Like he doesn't have a family. He's just like a, a right. old, um, different movie. Yeah, just just those action movies need more of those quiet, reflective mm-hmm. moments, you know, and I think I really appreciate when they're done well. Dynamics. Mm-hmm. I was going to say dynamics, yeah. yeah. Michael? I mean, I think, again, that's kind of what I said in Aliens also, uh, but I'm just, I think talking about it even today, just the respect that I have, this almost like begrudging respect, mm-hmm. it's, I think what's so fascinating to me about it is it's like, I think I haven't seen a James Cameron movie in a long time before we started doing these videos, uh, this video and like, I think it was one of those things where I knew they were good, but there was also Avatar lingering in my brain. And I was mm-hmm. like, how like, how am I going to feel going back to these? And I think there's just, I, 
there's such clear, like I was saying, there's passion about every moment of the movie. Mm. It's not just the action mm. or this, this we're going to do this cool visual effect. Like there's as much care put into the story and the characters and like every beat of it. And I think that's just such a cool example of what like a filmmaker should be like excited about the movie from frame one to the final frame and all the parts that how they come together and give that experience to the audience and that he has the self-discipline to be like yes i would love to have this reel in this movie but actually when we cut it out it moves faster we don't need it like it's just it's i think it's a cool mindset to aspire to if you're a filmmaker uh and i i am leaving these movies with a new appreciation mm-hmm. for that yeah finding that balance is really like a like such a precious piece of unobtainium uh <laughs> <laughs> I saw it on his face. I was like, he's going to say something stupid. It's right in there. You got me. You, you can, got me. You can always assume I'm going to say something stupid. Alec. Okay. We're just a hot potato. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, really, it was just once again, watching uh, the first Terminator movie and then thinking about T2, the causality between the two movies is so uh, smooth. There's, yeah. You know, there's some sequels where they kind of, it's almost like, you know, back writing or kind of making up like a new backstory to kind of fill in the new things they want to do in the sequel that didn't really make sense in the first movie. But this movie, like, I mean, these these two movies, it's a kind of a, just one big story. There's not really a whole lot of extra stuff added in T2 that wasn't yeah. in Terminator 1. You know, mm-hmm. that it set up everything for T2 and even literally like left the hand in the factory to be discovered and... So I just I found the causality and the fact they didn't have to really do a whole lot of like new world building in T2 mm-hmm. to be really impressive. Yeah. It's like, oh, it was all there to start with. He yeah. really did have this bigger story in mind. And he talked about that when approaching aliens, which is where he looked at the first movie and he was like, what are some of the unanswered questions we might have mm. that, again, might be a direct result or, or you know, lead to this sequel pretty like chartably? It works well. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being very impressed by how believable Aliens felt as a sequel for those reasons also. Yeah. Yeah. But it's sort of the opposite of what Alex is saying, which is like, in a way that's fine, which is Aliens is taking Alien and saying, there's not a lot here. How do we sort of like back, uh, you know, retroactively. using the existing material. Of course. Of course. But then like the way the Terminator is sets up this whole world, this whole story that T2 says, okay, we already have this story built. Now we can play with it. They don't say like, oh, Kyle Reese was lying about the future. It actually Uh, is a different future. It's like, no, it's, it was all accurate in T1 and we're just building on that. Yeah. 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 I feel like it's seamless in both movies. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. 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 I'm going to go out on limb here a little bit, which is that I I know that his performance has been panned. I am not here to defend Edward Furlong's performance, mm-hmm. although he was 14 years old. So listen, it's hard to be 14 and it's a difficult role to play. But I like the choice of giving that character so much agency. I feel like it was a real risk. Mm. You could have made John Connor any age. Right. You could have made him a lot younger. You could have made him significantly older Mm -hmm. because you have an actress like Linda Hamilton, again, incredibly versatile and amazing. And that change that has been wrought in her could have existed at different stages. Right. You could have set the first movie four years later or 24 years later. But to take this risk of putting it right in the middle and casting a young actor to play a young 
John Connor is risky. Some might argue it didn't pay off, but I like it. I think it's a risky choice. I also am just here for roles for young actors. Sure. And especially in action movies, like I, I think that the role itself is written as like believable. He's scrappy. He's tough. He's a kid from the streets. He's not here to he doesn't need to be babied or coddled. Of course, we see the relationship develop between him and Sarah, but I like it. It's a, an interesting choice. And this movie would have been a lot less interesting with a much older or a much younger John Connor. It's kind of an interesting like meta effect because I'm thinking about his performance and, uh, uh, you know, as I was watching, sure. I was like, yeah, well, but I'm like rolling my eyes because I'm like, this kid, he's, he's a kid. He doesn't know. He's like, we lived in Nicaragua and places <laughs> like that. But like, <laughs> these are my You're favorite. You're undercutting my lesson, Brian. <laughs> these are my favorite Brian impressions yet. <laughs> but I think his performance isn't great because he's a kid. Right. So I feel like ultimately it's still. Successful in a way. Right. Yeah. It's still a kid. We're almost like, because I'm thinking about Dakota Fanning and War of the Worlds. And I'm like, she has. She was never a child. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. She's more together than anybody else. Yeah. I'm worried about her the least. Yeah. Right. Everyone. yeah. So it's, it's well, it's something I had, I had mentioned about um, Daniel Radcliffe in the first Harry Potter yeah. and Mark Hamill in the first mm -hmm. Star Wars. That vulnerability. Where, right. Where mm. it's like it's like sort of the real human beings kind of naivete carries over into the character. Yeah. Agree. And and it comes across. So all of his toughness then comes across as being this veneer or this bravado, which is what you want, because, right. of course, it is put on on John Connor's part. He's trying right. to act tough right. because he's deeply wounded by the fact that he has lost his mother and, and all this stuff. And so in a way, again, I like the role, you know, and, yeah. and the performance, I think, works to an extent. And I just appreciate that choice. It was a really good, smart choice, I think, ultimately, even if you come away from it doing impressions like Brian does that are amazing shade I mean, throwing I mean, at best that makes no. it that makes it quotable that's what's fun there's always love in brian's imitation he is I one think. of the most quotable yeah. characters in this movie i yeah. walk away from jurassic park going dotson we got dotson <laughs> <Nobody cares. laughs> cool what have we been watching recently let's go around who wants to start trisha i'm looking at you sure i don't know though uh, i'm so Last night, I was like, I was like, Sorry? I have a few different things to say. So, like, do you really want to start with me? But um, I went and saw Ad Astra last night at the Vista Theater. You're welcome, Brian. Um, <laughs> as though you, <laughs> I have been there more recently than you. I was there this morning. Oh wow, you have been. It's a wonderful theater, but also it was just a really great experience going to see Ad Astra there. I'm curious to hear Alex's thoughts about it because I know he's seen it. I will say it is a gorgeous gorgeous movie i don't know if i've ever seen a movie that's so gorgeous and so overwrought mm. it crosses a point it starts off so compelling to me it starts off so compelling it takes a turn where it becomes sort of overly weighty in my opinion and i would agree yeah, yeah. There, i would never myself have laughed out loud in that theater but people were mm. yeah Yes. And so and that once you have people laughing in your theater, which this movie is, there is not one laugh moment in it. It is not designed to be laughed at. It is melancholy. Even at, <laughs> it is a lot. It is not designed to be laughed at. And so the minute that somebody breaks, anybody in your theater breaks, it just kind of destroys the spell. Yeah, that's, that's you've lost bad. it all. Because, you know, yeah. I sat at Arclight and there was there was no laughter. Mm. Um, and 
even when I was kind of rolling my eyes sometimes, it did help me stay in it because you're you're right. When there's a group experience and somebody kind of like breaks the spell of the movie, even rightfully, it does kind of like kind of ruin the rest of the experience. You can't really put that aside after that point. But here's the thing I will say about it. I think it is almost to the movie's detriment that it's being marketed as an action movie because it is definitely not an action movie. It is this contemplative drama. And so if you're in the mood for a contemplative drama, then go see Ad Astra. It's gorgeous. Brad Pitt's amazing. Like, go see it. But if you're not in the mood for a contemplative drama and you want to see an action movie, Ad Astra is not your movie. Right. Well, it's, I'll, I'll say a few things about it really yes. quick if you don't go, mind. Yes, go, go, go. No, so please. It's, it's, a, it's such a mixed bag of a movie because yes. there actually are some really well-done action scenes. There's like, there's like a moon... Like, I want there's, there's that a there's movie. a moon car chase that is like amazing. Moon pirates. I want that yeah. movie. I want it. And but I would watch a whole movie this, about but that. But it's in the same movie that's yeah. like Terrence Malick, Brad Pitt voiceover, like looking sad all the time. It's so like a it's, weird sequel to Tree of Life, in a way. But with action scenes. But with action <laughs> scenes in it. Anyway, it's it's a, a very interesting movie that I would recommend a theater experience of it just for the gorgeous space of visuals course. if you're into that because yeah. as I am. Um, and I kind of just want to like have it like on Netflix or something so I can like watch pieces of it Yeah. because as a whole, it didn't hold together for me, but there were a lot of transcendent moments that were like, oh, wow, in a more cohesive movie, this could be one of my favorite movies, but the tone and it was, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Brian, what have you been watching? Uh, so I unfortunately haven't had time to watch all of it yet, but I started watching the dark crystal age of resistance on Netflix and Mm -hmm. it just makes me so happy. It just, it feels like the original, you have these celebrity voices, but they don't sound like celebrity voices. So it's not the sort of nice animated movies these days where it's like, oh yeah, that's such and such, you know? And, uh, you know, we were talking about like the, the bigotures from Lord of the Rings and stuff. It's just that combination of practical with nice. the occasional, occasional CG to sort of pepper in some nice effects and everything, but it just feels magical. Um, I think that one thing that one thing that's really weird is take a movie uh like terminator 2 and you watch it and it's shot with 90s cameras and it's shot you know and it looks like a 90s movie mm-hmm. it's going to be weird seeing dark fate w- that yeah. looks like a 2019 movie and it's like that's such a strange thing when you sequelize a movie several years later unless you do blade runner 2049 where you're like let's right, right. completely like go all in on the fact that it's 2018 17 um and uh, but that's the cool thing about something like Dark Crystal, because it's all puppets and, you know, all this kind of stuff. You can basically make it look like it came out a week after the original movie, you know, and I think that that's something that's that you can't do with many things. And I, it just makes it feel that much more uh, special. Yeah. Nice. The my movie is also a netflix movie and mm. i feel like it's v- very similar to the the malik thing i watched the between two ferns movie uh, yeah. uh on netflix <laughs> and uh it's a masterpiece uh-huh. i don't know what else to say about it i feel like if you <laughs> <laughs> i've also watched it and i agree it's a masterpiece right i feel like if you sit down and you're like they made a between two ferns movie on netflix i want to watch that and you want, if that's what you want, you will be very happy. Right. Yeah. If you want to watch the dumbness of a Between Two Ferns right. for an hour and a half. Yes. That's that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was pure joy for me. Yeah. I wanted a bit more John Hamm. That's my one Don't criticism. We well, the weird thing is that he has done a Between Two Ferns. 
So it was weird that they didn't acknowledge in the movie, like, right. I've already done your show, but I'll do it again. And that, what, what, like, the most fascinating kind of, like, storytelling gymnastics was, like, the first 20 minutes when they were trying to build up this world and explain the world of Zach Galifianakis having this show that's between two ferns that's in the same, like, and explaining why his weird side, you know, he has this show in Minneapolis or whatever. It's like some public access tv but somehow he's getting these celebrities right the way they like found a way to like explain it in like a dumb way but a way that makes you be like all right cool let's go let's go with it it was i'm not gonna say impressive but it was fun to yeah. watch mm. that, was like, you, that was a really complicated thing you that just was a lot there. going on yeah. 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 it's a complicated movie guys <laughs> it is uh, if you've seen, it's not for the simple-minded <laughs> if, you, if you've seen uh, any of the funnier die movies like i steve the the first steve jobs movie with justin long as steve jobs and somebody else as justin long because mac commercial sure um and uh the art of the deal with johnny depp as donald trump which is Wow. So many things Yikes. about just that pitch. Um, but, it just, but it just has the like purposeful dumbness of a, of yeah, a funny yeah, yeah. diary. Right. They're <laughs> yeah. not trying to be dumb no. funny. They're just trying to be dumb. Yeah. 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 Alex. <laughs> also Netflix. Um, I watched American Factory, which mm. is a Netflix original documentary that was brought to Netflix by the Obamas through their new production company deal with Netflix. Uh, I think it's called Higher Ground. And uh, I think they picked it up at Sundance. And it was a remarkable documentary. I would highly recommend it. I think it's one of the, one of the better made modern documentaries I've seen. Uh, really beautifully shot, totally observational. They have no real like editorial spin on what they're observing. Mm. And the 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 logline basically is in uh, an Ohio town where like the big GM plant closed down and lost their job. Uh, a Chinese company comes and and opens a Chinese plant there. And it's this amazing observational documentary about what happens when there's a Chinese organization mm. employing Americans and Chinese workers shipped over from China together Whoa. in a plant and like what happens. That sounds fascinating. It's, and you know, some parts of it go over to China and it's, and it's so relevant and so fascinating about what our world is right now. Um, and it's just, it's actually just a very, um, I haven't seen a lot of documentaries lately that just commit so hard to just a pure observational style and do it with such like, grace and class and like objectivity it's really really well done awesome cool all right well this has been our conversation about terminator 2 uh we'd love to hear from you so hit us up on twitter my twitter is at michael tucker la at brian bittner at trisha jean a at alex underscore calleros and then there's the twitter for the show at bt screenplay thank you all for listening and we will see you in the next episode adios bye bye everybody